The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. But life is noisy, isn't it? Isn't life just noisy these days? Sometimes I love just what we just did, just to hear the voices. Nothing wrong. We, uh, in the Bible, it commands us to, to praise him with the cymbals and the stringed instruments and all of that, and that's all great. But I love it. And, you know, this is a good test, I think, for us when we have music at the, at the level we do to say, hey, when it's all stripped away, are we still able to honor the Lord? Can we still worship? And, uh, and, and I love your hearts this morning and to just see you and to worship with you. What a privilege that is. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to turn to the book of First Peter. And we're going to go to the first chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 13. Let me begin with a question. What comes to mind when you think about the call for Christians to be holy? Maybe some of you think of hair buns or long dresses. Others of you may think of what author Jerry Bridges calls the repugnant, holier-than-thou attitude. Some of you probably think of a long list of rules. No smoking, no drinking, no dancing, no watching movies, etc. You insert the rules you grew up on in there. And while there may be a hint of accuracy in some of these ideas, this is not the heart of true biblical holiness. To be holy, as far as we are concerned, means to be set apart. This is what the Bible means when it talks about holiness. It means for us to be set apart from sin and the world. And this is important. We must also be set apart unto God. All right? So we're set apart from the world, from sin, and we are set apart for or unto the Lord and His good purposes. It means to be consecrated. It means to be sanctified. That's what it is to be holy. So we're in part four of this series on the holiness of God. And for the first three sermons, we studied Isaiah chapter 6, looking at God's holiness, what it means that God is holy. If you miss any of those messages, those are all online for you. Well, today we're going to look at another aspect of holiness we're going to look at this call for the people of God to be holy. Every Christian now has this mandate, this call to be set apart or to be holy. This is a non-optional command for every believer. One of the most sobering verses in the New Testament is Hebrews 12, 14, and it says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Did you get that? Without this holiness, no one will see the Lord. So I think you may agree this morning that this is a vital subject to study. So I invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 and stand for just a moment, if you would, for the reading of the Word of God. 1 
1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not to perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And I say this morning, this is the word of the Lord. May we receive it as such. You may be seated. Well, as we begin our journey through this text, we're going to start by looking at, if you're taking notes, the motivation for holiness. The motivation for holiness. In other words, why should we as believers pursue what the Bible calls holiness? I love the story of the man and woman going on vacation. The wife is on a business trip. So the husband decides to go to Florida first, and his wife was to meet him the next day. When he reaches his hotel, he decides to send his wife a quick email. Unfortunately, when typing her address, he mistypes a letter, and his note is instead directed to a widow whose husband had just passed away only a day before. When the grieving widow checks her email, she takes one look at the monitor, lets out a piercing scream, and falls to the floor in a dead faint. At the sound, her family rushes into the room and sees this note on the screen. Dearest wife, just got checked in. Everything is prepared for your soon arrival. P.S. Sure is hot down here. How many know this lady had a little extra motivation to get her life right? Let me ask you this. What is the motivation for us to live holy lives? Well, look again at verse 13. Peter says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the 
revelation of Jesus Christ. So we have actually several motivations for our holiness found within this text. The first is this, our future inheritance. Friends, this is something we don't talk about enough. The book of 1 Peter, if you go back up to verse 1, is addressed to the elect exiles. Now, what in the world does that mean? These are mainly Gentile Christians who are experiencing great persecution and suffering in the Roman world because of their faith. They are exiles, not in the literal sense, but in the sense that this world is not their home and they feel the weight of that every day. And how many know as believers, we ought to feel like strangers and pilgrims in this world? Friends, this is not our home. Don't get too bent out of shape in what you see going on in the world around you. This is why Peter is writing them, because everything that's happening in their world, these Gentile Christians, it, it seems like it's coming against them. It's not in their favor. It's not the world they want to live in. And Peter's reminding them, this is not your home. Put your mind on things above. And so Peter reminds them, in the first several verses of this chapter, that there's an inheritance kept in heaven for them. And he reminds them of the hope that they have in Christ for final salvation, when we will be with the Lord forever. And so he's using this hope to encourage them in the midst of great suffering. And then in verse 13, we see that that verse begins with the word, uh, the, the, the word, therefore. And so that connects these two sections of Scripture. So the call to be holy is connected to this future inheritance. Why must we be holy? What, what's the motivation? One reason is this. Because there is an inheritance waiting for us. So don't, don't, don't succumb to the pressures of this world. Keep enduring. Keep fighting the fight of Christian faith. Quit, keep running the race. There's an inheritance waiting for you. It's worth it. And, and here's the thing. Friends, it is tough to live holy in an unholy world, isn't it? This is no easy feat. That's why Peter is challenging this people and us ultimately to keep our eyes on the prize. Second motivation is simply this, verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I'm holy. So here's our second motivation, simply this, God has commanded us to be holy. Amen. Peter quotes here Leviticus 11:44, showing us that this mandate is not just for the Old Testament believers, but no, it's for the New Testament Christian as well. When a mother asks her child to do something and they ask, why should I? What is her answer? Because I said so, right? And then if your mom was like mine, I brought you into this world and I will take you out, right? So, so here's the thing. How many still have a little bit, even adults, how many, how many have a little fear of mama still in you? I do. How much more should we be willing to follow the commands of the Lord just because he says so? 
He doesn't owe us, friends, an explanation. He says be holy. That ought to be enough motivation right there. But there's another motivator. Christians will be judged according to their deeds. We will be judged, friends, according to our deeds. Look at verse 17. And if you call on him as father, now only Christians are calling on him as father, who judges impartially, watch this, according to each one's deeds. This is not judgment for salvation. This is, this is the judgment seat of Christ here. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, while you're on this earth. Conduct yourselves with fear, this holy fear, this reverence for God, knowing, friends, that we are going to give an account for our lives. In this life, and in the final judgment, you and I will be judged and, and rewarded. This is really good news based upon our works. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, give an account for our words, what we speak, what we say, and what we do. All right? So this is not a salvation by works, all right? No, don't misunderstand this. This is, this is for saved people. We are going to be judged and rewarded based upon our works. So, so Peter is, is challenging this people and us. Your inheritance, what you will receive in the end, depends on how you act, what you do, the works that are in your heart and life. So, so don't act like this world is in your home is your home, but invest in the life to come. And let me give you one more motivator. I'm going to go back to Hebrews 12. Holiness is not optional. So, like, if none of these are motivators for you, don't think I can just leave this. Strive for peace, Hebrews 12:14, with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Friends, holiness is not an option like, a, a, like a, a, a maybe a heated seats on a new vehicle. Like, you know what? I'll take the car, but I don't need the heated seats option. This is not an option that you can leave. Like, I get salvation, but not holiness. No. I get justification, but not holiness. No. It's a package deal, my friend. So holiness is not optional. Again, not salvation by works. When you see someone who claims to be saved, but there is no fruit of salvation in their life, chances are they're not really saved. Because at salvation, you can go back to verse 2 and you'll see this. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit does a work in every one of our lives. We are new creations in Christ, and this will surely always change our behavior. Though we still wrestle with a sinful nature, there will definitely be a difference in the way we think and live compared to the world. So the Scripture gives us great motivation for being holy. So then the question becomes, well, how then are we made holy? So number two, we're going to look at the method for holiness. The method for holiness. Holiness, in a sense is a joint partnership between us and God. God has made it possible through the work of Christ 
and by giving us the Holy Spirit, he's made us, made it possible for us to walk in holiness. Lost people, friends, cannot walk in holiness. It's impossible. Don't expect lost people to act like saved people. All right? But expect saved people to act like saved people. All right? Let's look at what Christ has done first. Number one, we're made holy by Christ's finished work. Without this, we can't be holy. All right? Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for your sake. Of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Because, hear me, of the fallen nature of human beings, we cannot possibly be holy in and of ourselves. Friends, even your best deeds, even my best deeds, apart from Jesus Christ, are as a filthy rags. They are a stench in the nostrils of God. When compared to other people, we feel pretty good about our own holiness. Every one of us can look at somebody else comparatively and say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty holy. I'm pretty righteous. But when we do what Isaiah did, when we encounter the holiness of God, we realize, wow, compared to God, my heart is wretched. I need a Savior. I need redemption. I need, my sin needs to be atoned for. And in Isaiah, you'll remember, God cleanses him and sets him apart for his good purposes. And friends, this is what God does in the life of every single Christian. Our sin is atoned for through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that he made on our behalf. His righteousness, his holiness is imputed to us. It's accredited to us. This is great news. You're quiet this morning, but this is great news. This is the best news in the world. Our sins atone for. We're set apart for God's good purposes. We were created for the glory of God. And when apart from Jesus Christ, we can never live up to that purpose because the image is so marred. But now, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, he has now reconciled. Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. We're no longer under the wrath of God. We're no longer enemies of God. But, but we are made righteous in Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness. And now, not only that, this is the best news in the world. He's given us the Holy Spirit so we can actually walk in this righteousness. I mean, this is phenomenal. One of the greatest blessings of the new covenant outside of just salvation itself is that Jeremiah says, and this is later again quoted in the New Testament, that the word of God is written on our hearts, which means now my heart, my once really sinful heart that was against God, my rebellious heart now longs to obey the word of God. 
And his spirit strengthens us to walk in holiness even in this world. That's why Paul says, walk by the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. By the way, come back next week. I'm going to be preaching on the Holy Spirit. This is incredible news. We were ransomed from a life of futility and sin. We've been redeemed by the finished work of Christ. So he makes us holy. Don't miss that. Without Christ, no holiness. You may know somebody who seems really moral that doesn't know Jesus. They're not holy. They're not holy. They may be ethical in a sense, but they're not holy. We're only made holy by the finished work of Christ. However, God works in the heart, and we work out what God works in. We work out what God works in. So I want to look at our part in this. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. This, friends, is an imperative showing that we have responsibility. God has worked in us, and now we are expected not to conform to the ways that we used to think and act. We are to walk in holiness rather than the ways of this world. I want to take you to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Paul says almost this same thing. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Watch what he says here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Is he saying that we save ourselves? No way. Watch what he says here. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in us. We work out what God is working in. So, listen, we can only walk in righteousness. We can only walk in holiness because of what God has done in our hearts. But now he's given us that power, that ability, and we're expected to walk in it. We're, we're expected to walk this thing out. Jerry Bridges, uh, in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, gives a great illustration on how this work, this partnership works in the life of believer, comparing it to how a farmer gets a successful harvest. He writes this, a farmer plows his field, he sows the seed and fertilizes and cultivates, all the while knowing that in the final analysis he is utterly dependent on forces outside of himself. He knows he cannot cause the seed to germinate. Nor can he produce the rain and sunshine for growing and harvesting the crop. For a successful harvest, he is dependent on these things from God. Yet, the farmer knows that unless he diligently pursues his responsibilities to plow, plant, fertilize, and cultivate, he cannot expect a harvest at the end of the season. In a sense, he is in partnership with God and he will reap its benefits only when he has fulfilled his own responsibilities. Isn't that good? No one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in his life or her life. But just as surely, no one will attain it 
without effort on his or her own part. God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness, but he's given us the responsibility of doing the walking. He does not do that for us. We're made holy by Christ. And when that work happens in our lives, the way which we live will be, must be greatly impacted. So we have this personal responsibility, friends, to walk out this holy life, this holiness. So I want to finally, I want to close by looking at now the mechanics of holiness. In other words, what are the practicalities? What does holiness look like? Because there's a lot of confusion. And nestled throughout this text are at least three components of holiness. Three components of holiness. Number one, holiness means that we think differently from the world. This is not just action, but it begins in the mind. How many know what you think on, what you hide in your heart, too, will ultimately be what you do? So as Christians, we've got to think like holy, sanctified people. Amen? Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, our minds are to be set on heavenly things. We are not to be consumed with the problems of this life, with the luxuries of this life. We're not, about to be, we're, we're not to be about this life, but about the life to come. We're sowing seed in this life for our ultimate inheritance. We're not to desire the comforts or the riches of this life. Now, listen. There's nothing wrong. I don't have a poverty mentality. There's nothing wrong with having money or nice things. But I, I love what Jesus says, Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. How do we lay up those treasures in heaven? By doing exactly what Peter's telling us to do in chapter 1. Verse 21, Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love what Paul says, Colossians 3, verse 2, set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. Friends, yes, this does not mean that we become spiritual hermits, that you quit your job and that, you know, you move under a bridge somewhere. Don't do that, all right? But realize your job is more than just a job. It's an opportunity to sow seed for heavenly rewards. And I'm not suggesting that you do it just for reward, but understand, you're there for a reason. Friends, you are there for a reason. I was just talking to somebody this weekend, and they're telling me about the, the lostness of the people that they work with. And that can be frustrating as a Christian, but... I love this person's attitude saying, I know God has me right there for a reason. Hallelujah. Your marriage, it doesn't mean because, you know, you're supposed to be about the life to come that you say, well, family, I'm leaving. I'm not supposed to have any cares in this world. No. You're supposed to prepare your family. Love them. Prepare them for the life to come. 
So understand, we're to set our minds on what's above, not on the things of this earth. So we think differently. Friends, we shouldn't be consumed with politics. Now, I think we should vote. I think we should pray for our country and our leaders. You ought to be praying for our our president. You ought to be praying for our vice president, for our city officials, uh, you know, federal government, the the, the whole nine yards. We ought to to be lifting them up in prayer. But don't get so bent out of shape and so distracted. I feel like so many of us are so weighed down by politics. Why does it bother you so badly? You're not ultimately a citizen of America. Now, I want America. I I love America. I want America to, to live out godly principles. But friends, this is not a godly world. But this is not my home. This is not my home. So my job is in the midst of political corruption on every level, in the midst of frustrations and even persecutions against Christianity that will grow only more and more in the last days. My job is just to love people and show them Jesus Christ. And not let these things utterly consume me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care. I realize where I'm at, all right? I know, I, I, know I, I, I love our president. I pray for him. Okay? I'm not saying that we don't care. I'm just saying we don't let it consume us. Does that make sense? Don't let it consume you. Be consumed with the things of God. So holiness changes the way we think. Secondly, holiness means we conduct ourselves differently than the world. You know, I have people all the time say to me, well, yeah, I believe this. But if your belief does not affect your action, it really does no good. If your theology does not affect the way you live and your affections for Jesus Christ, it's no good. Verse 14, we get very practical. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Friends, we're not to walk in the sexual immorality of this world and impurity that is so embraced by our people today. The people of this world is what I mean. We're not to walk in deception, in greed, nor any other sin. We're not to walk at all in accordance to the flesh. Our desire should be to please the Lord. And we ought to walk in harmony with that desire. And hear me, if you never feel differently than the people you work with, the people you see in Walmart or wherever, if you don't feel any differently, listen, if you never feel the pressure of, I'm a stranger and a pilgrim, there's a huge issue there. Because you ought to feel a little bit different at times. Actually, you should probably feel a lot different at times. Amen? We're to live differently than the world. Now, I want to say this one more time. We've got to be careful here. I do not expect lost people to act like saved people. You hear this line, it drives me crazy. You hear this line thrown around all the time, especially on social media now. It's not our job to judge. Hear me. Friends, it is not my job to judge the world, but it is my job to 
to judge other believers once I've taken the log out of my eye. We're to hold each other accountable. Matter of fact, if you go to um, the, the letters written to Corinth, you'll see Paul says a believer who's in sin, unrepentant, he says don't even have a meal with them. Well, how would that fly today? Why? Out of meanness? Out of holier than thou? No, to show the seriousness of sin. So we're not to judge the world. We're not to walk around acting like snobs. And here's the thing. You know, when, when the people I work with or whatever, um, you, you know, in, in years past, when they sin, I, I don't snarl or stick up my nose or anything else because I just don't expect them to act like safe people. My job is not to, it, it's not them to get them to stop sinning. It's, it's to get them to love Jesus and he'll take care of the other part. And then, yeah, I can help them. But I've got to show them the love of Christ. It's not to condemn them. Now, within the church, again, that's different. But we have got to walk in holiness. Now, I want to be careful here. One more little caveat that I'll, I'll, I'll throw out. We've got to be careful in the church because we're guilty of two things in the church, all right? One, today you see the law of God loosened. That's one extreme. Because God is such a God of grace, then sin is not made a big deal of. And, oh, whatever, you know, he's just going to forgive you. Guys, that's a fearful stance because there is a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay? There are standards. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We talked about this several weeks ago, talking about communion. And, and Paul is writing, he's saying, listen, because some of you have taken communion in an unworthy manner because you're harboring sin, because you're treating other people unfairly. You're not caring for the marginalized. You're getting drunk on the communion wine. And can you imagine? He says, some of you are sick and some of you have even died because of this. Don't play with God. Okay. Yes, he's a loving God, but he expects us like a loving father to follow and obey his commands. So don't loosen the law and say when the Bible says something is clearly wrong. Do not say, well, I think it's all right. What Isaiah say, woe to you who call good evil and evil good. Don't be in that camp, but we have something else that we're guilty of as well, and that is tightening the law. It's tightening the law. We love to pick and choose some of the Old Testament commands that kind of fit with maybe the way we grew up. And we've got to be very, very careful. I'm not going to mention anything specific here. But there are, are what we call matters of conscience. There are clear black and white, yes and no, sexual immorality, sex outside of marriage, that's black and white. Don't do it. But there are others, what, issues that are left to, to the Spirit's work in your life that may be a sin for you that might not be a sin for me or vice versa. There, there, there are these issues where we're supposed to give liberty one with another. And legalism is this. When we make our conviction someone else's obligation, and I'm talking about convictions that are not clearly prohibited for the New Testament believer. When we make our conviction somebody else's obligation, that's how we get legalism in the church. And here's what happens. This is why we've got to stay away from this. It becomes frustrating to people because they feel like they can never measure up. Did any of you grow up like that, just feeling, man, I'm, I can never be good enough? And these are people who love God and are serving Him. 
and are walking in harmony with the Bible calls holiness. But we put we add to the rules. That's what the Pharisees did. They tightened the law. So we don't want to be guilty of either one of those things. And it's tough. We don't want to loosen the law. We don't want to tighten the law. So holiness means that we think differently. It means that we live differently. And uh, wherever Bob is, if he would go ahead and come up. Holiness number three means that we love differently. Okay? Hear me out, friends. There are people who claim to walk in holiness. I've never touched this, and I've never done this. But they're the meanest folks in the world. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Because there's a third component here, and it is love. Look at verse 22 in the same context. Having purified your soul, which is your mind, your will, your emotions, by your obedience to the truth... For a sincere, brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. One of the greatest ways that we can demonstrate holiness is by brotherly love and affection within the church. This is not just your earthly brothers and sisters. This is within the body of Christ. Forgiving, kind, loving, encouraging, not complaining, grumbling, tearing down. Now, are there issues that need to be talked about from time to time? Absolutely. This doesn't mean that we can't talk out our differences. But we are bent, when we're holy, we're bent towards loving one another. It means this within the church, and I love this as I see this happening more and more in our body. It's not about my preference. Even as the pastor, this is not about my preference. In style, I I love here that we don't fight over carpet color or church pews. Blue is what we have, and blue is what we're going with, and we're all UK fans, right? <laughs> I saw. Hey, you got membership coming up. Don't don't give me that. <laughs> Listen, man, I love this church, and I and I, I watch this. This is so cool. Some of you have been so gracious. Maybe preferences and different things that, that that you don't totally embrace, but you're doing what the Bible says, and you're preferring others above yourself. And we need to do that more. And more and more. I've, I've told the worship team, you know, we have a lot of young musicians on our, our worship team. And uh, not very many of them, I, you know, I think maybe two of us that, that sing up here at all like hymns and some of the older songs. And I, I so appreciate their hearts for, for doing it. even this song, Alleluia. Um, songs that resonate with some of us who grew up on those songs. And uh, I, I have was this having dinner with somebody new to our church just this last week, and they said, you know what we love? We love it when you do songs like I Exalt Thee and some of these hymns. Thank you for for throwing some of those in. And I love that, that it doesn't have to, even if it's not your favorite style. And you know what, on the other side, some of you may hate modern worship music, just the style. I'm not saying the words. And that's all right. It's not your preference, I should say. But you can worship with your hands raised anyways because it's not about you. I love that. I love it. So we need to love differently. As we grow in holiness, our thinking will be different, our conduct, and even our emotion, our love one for another. In closing, I want to remind you one more time that if it were not for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we would have no hope of being holy, set apart for God's purposes. What a privilege it is to be redeemed, to be cleansed, to be made holy, and to be able to be used for His good purposes. 
We're called to work out what God is working in. I want to just ask you, how are you doing in this? Are you thinking differently than the world generally? Doesn't mean that you don't have these thoughts pop in your mind. There's nothing wrong with you. There's, we still have this battle of the flesh. But generally, are you keeping your mind set on the things above? Are you living differently than the world? Are you loving differently than the world? How are you doing in these areas? Let me give you one last story. This was in our daily bread. I love this. Powerful. Back from 1997. In the forest of northern Europe and Asia lives this little animal called the ermine. Known for his white, snow white fur in winter. You got to look this animal up if, you don't, if you're not familiar. It's the cutest thing. He instinctively protects his white coat against anything that would soil it. Fur hunters take advantage of this unusual trait of the ermine. They don't set a snare to catch him, but instead they find his home, which is usually a cleft in a rock or a hollow in a tree. And they smear the entrance in the interior with grime. Then they set the hunters, I'm sorry, the, hunt, the hunting dogs loose to find them and to chase the ermine. The frightened animals flee towards the home, but they don't enter because of the filth. Rather than soil the white coat, the animal is trapped by the dogs and captured while preserving his purity. For the ermine, purity is more precious than life. Friends, the kind of holiness I'm talking about will make you feel like a stranger and a pilgrim. And it is difficult. But I need some people. I'm looking for some folk this morning that will say, listen, no matter what it costs me, they may laugh at me, it may cost me my job, it may, may cost me some friends, but I want to walk in a way, I want to love in a way, I want to think in a way that's pleasing to God because I value purity more than I value life itself. Jesus said this path we're on is the narrow way, the gate's narrow, the way difficult that leads to life. It's the only way to salvation. Thank God, thank God He's given us His precious Holy Spirit. He never is going to ask us to do something that He's not going to equip us to do. This is not a frustration. Oh, walk in holiness and then good luck. No. Here, I give you my spirit. When Jesus left, he says, listen, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm sending you the comforter. He'll guide you in truth. Again, Paul, walk by the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Friends, this is glorious news. I'm not preaching a condemning, binding doctrine to you today. I'm preaching the greatest news in the world to you. Jesus expects us to live and walk in righteousness, and he's given us every bit of power we need to do it by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen? That is great news. So as we sing this song one more time, take my life, holiness. I want you to consider, am I, I love this older song. Take my life, take my mind, take my will. I want you to, as we sing this, I want you to really think, God, does God have all of you? 
He doesn't just want your Sunday behavior. He wants you to follow him all week, live for him religiously throughout the week at work, at home, at Walmart, wherever you are at. Live so that others may see your good works and glorify their God, Matthew 5, who's in heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.